0: and uh, very thankful that we can be here and really appreciate uh, and view it as a privilege to be in such a great country. Um, I am at the moment lecturing at Earth Bible College and um, especially in the Old Testament and that is also a part of the scripture that I really like. As you would see this morning, we would look at a few passages from the Old Testament I hope that um, you hear a lot from the Old Testament as part of God's Word in this church. I guess so. I'll ask Nick Tuesday. Um, But, um, yeah, so thanks for the invitation and thanks for the privilege to to have me and uh, to to also be able to bring God's Word to you this morning. So let us just pray before we we continue reading from Scripture. Lord, we just want to thank you for this privilege that we have as your people to be here together this morning to worship and to praise you. Lord, we want to thank you for for your love and your kindness that you bestowed on us. Lord, thank you that we can know you, that you've made yourself known to us through your word and especially through your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, thank you for the privilege that we have to somewhere in our lives that we could answer to your call and answer to your word. Lord, we want to thank you for your word, that you've given it to us so that we can know you, that we can know ourselves um, as you see us. And Lord, thank you that we can have your word as a guidance in our life so that we will not only know you better, but also will be able to, to distinguish what your will is, and live accordingly. So, Lord, as we open your word this morning, we come before you as people who know our limitations and people who know that we are dependent on you and your spirit to work in us through your word um, and to make your word or to bring your word in such a way that we will understand it. So, we pray, Lord, that you will work through your spirit as we seek to understand your word, understand you better. Um, And that your spirit will also make this word part of our lives. We praise your name. Amen. Now, I'm going to preach from chapter 1 to 11 of Genesis. Now, the elders said that he usually do the reading. I forgot your name now, but... Um, So I'm going to ask him to read all 11 chapters for us. Um, But that will take a bit of time, I guess. So what I want to do is to sort of give an overview, but not just an overview, but also try and give you some keys to, to understand these first 11 chapters, because they actually form the introduction to the rest of Scripture, and that includes the New Testament. We can't really understand ourselves without understanding Genesis 3, maybe 1, 2, 3, and then up to 11. We can't understand the significance of what Christ did for us without understanding what happened in chapter 2 and 3, especially of Genesis, but also throughout the Old Testament. So many times we refer to the Old Testament as the Old Testament, well, I guess always, which is actually unfortunate because it sounds like something that is old. We don't need it anymore. Uh, it is something that many times is also, there's a few interesting stories that we can remember from, from Sunday school, but for the rest of it, it is so far away from us that we would rather delve into the New Testament which, which is not wrong uh, but um, this is also part of Scripture the Old Testament so many scholars these days uh, prefer to refer to the Old Testament which I prefer as the First Testament and then the, Old Tes- the New Testament as the Second One but then again it sounds as if the New Testament is the Second One so let's just stick with the Old Testament but um, uh, What I would try to do is to to give you two keys to understand these first 11 chapters and also try to to show something of who we are, uh, maybe in a different light than how modern people see themselves, and also to show you even more who God is. Because I also get this idea um, sometimes that people think that somehow the God of the Old Testament is a different one. Or we acted different. He's the God of the law. While in the New Testament we find the God of grace. So we find in the Old Testament this harsh God. He's just ready to strike down His people and to punish them with exile and to do all sorts of things. Especially when we get to the, to the prophets. And then we find this gracious, loving, caring God in the New Testament uh, who sent His Son Jesus to die for us. And that is true, that God is the caring God. But we don't only find that in the New Testament. We already find it here right in the beginning of Scripture. And throughout the Old Testament, this is also the way that God reveals Himself as a loving a caring God he didn't suddenly become a loving caring God in Jesus it's the same God it's not a different God and uh, so let us just read a few verses and as we continue I will also refer to a number of other verses we can go to chapter 3 verse 20 or 21 now just for a I guess I already got an introduction, and it was already a bit long, but uh, you know chapter one is about creation, and then chapter two, we get a second creation account, and chapter three is the fall of man, uh, where Eve did not eat an apple, she ate fruit, we don't, it was not an apple tree, she ate from the fruit of the tree, and... uh, God then come and punish or or express His judgment or punishment over them, over the serpent, over Adam and over Eve. And then in verse 21, now remember this is shortly after God um, uh, said this is what's going to happen to you. You sinned. God said actually that if you eat from that tree, you will die. That day, you will die if you read in an older translation. And somehow God did not do that. And then we read verse 21, which is just amazing. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. I'll come back to that a bit later. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat, and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim uh, and the flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So what we see here is that man sent, and then God sent them out. Um, in a certain way to into this harsh world to look after himself now just to come back to chapter 1 and 2 what we find with creation and I guess all of you have read chapter 1 at least um, is that God is the God who speaks and it happens God said let this be and it is and God said, let it divide, and things divide. And God said, let this which I created bring forth, and it, it happens. And then God creates man. Wonderful. And after he did that, he stand back, or he stood back and he said, it was very good. So God created man good. Without sin without evil, without anything that can go wrong, as with the rest of creation. In chapter 2, again we see, I mean the whole focus of chapter 2 and 3 is mankind, how God created man from the dust, and formed man, and also gave him the breath of life. And then what we see is that God, chapter 1 and 2, put man in charge of his creation. Man is made in God's image to represent God here on earth and God also gave man the responsibility to then look after the creation of God and to subdue it. So in a certain sense God is giving over his authority, not handing it over as in relinquishing, but giving the same authority that he, have, he gave to man who is created in His image, and then to look after this creation. And God said, everything is yours. You can have it. Interesting enough, all the plants, not the animals, all the plants are there for you to eat. Animals are only given after Noah for man to eat. And uh, Man then takes on that responsibility. So, what we see is that Scripture, chapter 1 and 2, especially, got a very high regard for man, mankind. Um, I'm not using inclusive language here, so, but it is inclusive, um, bent, humankind. Uh, the Bible. View mankind, humankind as being created by God, perfect. View mankind, humankind as a representative of God with the same, not exactly the same, but the similar authority um, representing God here on earth. And what is interesting is also that Adam then gives give names to the animals. Now, name giving. In the ancient world was very important. by giving a name to someone or something, that also means that you then have authority over that thing or that person. Now we, In our day it doesn't work like that anymore. But by giving no other responsibility to name everything also shows that he gets resp- not only responsibility but also authority over creation. So, a very high regard for mankind in chapter 1 and 2. But unfortunately, chapter 3 also happens in our story. Chapter 3, we, we suddenly, mankind is faced with the option to do what God said they should not. And that is from this one thing that God said you should not do, suddenly Eve is put in a position where God is questioned. And that starts to work in her mind. And what we then find is that because she saw that this fruit is good to eat from, and it's a beautiful fruit, but even more, you can become like God, having all knowledge that makes this even more enticing to be somehow to become like god and don't we have that in our society so much even people who don't acknowledge god maybe part of that not acknowledging god is to be like god we want to be gods in our own right we don't want to be creatures we don't want to know our position in life as being created by God. But anyway, that's not the point. Um, What he then find is that man do exactly the opposite from what God said they should do or should not do. And that is to eat from this one tree. Now many times we see that as being a proof command or a proof law that somehow God wants God set up this tree to prove, uh, so that Adam and Eve will be able to prove themselves to God that they won't do what God said they should not. But I don't really think that is a, that's a good um, way of looking at it. Basically what it is, it is like a farm gate or a gate towards an electrical substation where there's a big sign on it that says no entry, no entrance. And you just know that sign is up there for a reason, don't go in there. It's not to test to see if you, whether you're going to go into the substation where it is dangerous for you to go in. It is just there to say, don't go, this is dangerous, keep out. So God did not put it there to test Adam and Eve. It was just a way of God to say I'm giving you everything but because I'm God I can decide that you should not have that one." But you know how we are. Exactly that that we don't want or should have or what we should not go, that is where we want to go. Um, And many times we get a shock of our life going to the electrical substation if you're still a teenager. But so, what we then have is that man rebelled against God. Now, before I continue, maybe I can just, if we can have that slideshow, um, Because I forgot about that. Now, the next one. If you, from here on then, what you will see, if you can just, um, the next slide. Uh, the key to Genesis 1 to 11, basically two things. The one is, What you find is God's grace um, and that being shown in the many ways that God, in the first place about creation and and then also when God softened his punishment to people or to the sinners, that's a nice one, are those the sinners (laughs) Uh, and uh, how God will soften it. And the other thing is, is this rebelliousness of mankind. So, it's, there are two clear lines. And when you read chapter 1 to 11, you should keep that in mind. is that It's on the one hand about God's blessing and grace. God blesses everything, especially uh, Genesis 1. Um, and He shows grace. And then, parallel to that is mankind's, rebellion and the disharmony that's been caused by this rebellion. If you can just give it another click, it's not going. Okay. Um, So, just keep those two lines in mind, and there's a zigzag one that I would also like to show, just to show how it works. Um, What we see, God creates mankind. You can keep that on for a while. And He creates everything. He blesses them. And what is part of this blessing is that they should be fruitful and multiply. Now these days we say we are too many, so we should stop that a bit. But they should multiply. That's part of what, basically the first command that God gave humankind. And then we find in Genesis 3 that mankind rebels against God by going against His will. And the fallout of that is disharmony, if we look at Genesis 3, between um, the closest relationships between God and mankind, disharmony between husband and wife, and I don't think I have to tell anybody about that, who are married. Uh, Sometimes there's just so much disharmony. And uh, disharmony between man and creation, because Adam now needs to go and toil and find, make a living from this creation that will now not be working with him, but against him. But we see God bless us. Just after that, the passage I read this morning, um, when God come, and this is the most amazing passage to me in the Bible, just after mankind rebelled and God said, I had enough of you, He come, and he makes clothes I always get this picture of these puppets that the girls play with you, you God who is God who is the one who said let it happen and it happened come and see these people who just rebelled against him and he sent before he sent them out into this world he come and he make clothes just get that picture God making clothes from animal skins because these poor blokes they try to cover themselves up with fig leaves which is not really helpful and he made clothes and he put these clothes on him on them how amazing is that that the creator god who actually said if you eat from that tree you will die. He is then the one who come and clothe these people before He sends them out. And even in the sending out of the garden, there is also some grace being shown. Because God said, let, them, let us, they've done this thing, let us send them out before they will reach out and take from the tree of life and then also live forever, meaning living forever with the consequence of their sin. So even in our death, it's a horrible thing. Um, We are as a family faced with that. My wife's um, father is, is very ill and he doesn't have long to live. But we are faced with that harsh reality. But even in that, there is grace. Because that means that we don't have to live with the hardship that we have to live in this world. Now maybe in Australia life is too good. But if you see how hard people sometimes have life. Because of everything going wayward after the fall. There's grace in the fact that there will come a day when I don't have to live with this anymore. And so much more the grace that we have in Christ, where we are looking forward to a new life. And interesting how Genesis, our Revelation actually picks up again on this tree of life symbol we will have access to the tree of life that will bear fruit 12 months of the year, meaning it will always bear fruit. And we will then have full access to the tree of life. Now, I deviated a bit, um, as I always do. But, so what we see then is that Manson, God bless Manson, but God shows grace. The next thing that happens is this disharmony between two brothers, Cain and Abel. The first murder, murder case, where the one brother kills the other one because of jealousy. Interesting enough, within a religious context, within the context of worshipping God, the one gets jealous of the other and he kills his brother. And when God comes and says to to um, Cain, what have you done? You will now live under punishment and judgment. Cain says, it's too much for me to bear. What does God do? Just get out of my way? No, God says, I'll give you a sign as a protection. Whatever that sign is, we don't know. But what we see is God softening his judgment on Cain. And shortly after that, we get this genealogy as a sign again of blessing, where Cain have many descendants. Now, I know in these days, people view kids as a curse more than a blessing. But in those days, children were actually a blessing. Um, And the more you have, the more blessed you were. So our story continues, and in chapter 6 about, we find the story of Noah. And it starts off with, again, mankind trying to reach into the real realm of God, where there's a marriage between these sons of God or heroes of old. We don't really know who and what they are, but it seems what their story wants to convey, that there was sexual intercourse um, between heavenly beings and humans as a way to become again something like God and God judges the world with a flood but even with this flood we find the grace of God picking up one family picking out one family and not only by saving this one family but also animals because God cares for his creation and when this all this, after all this happened, we find a God remembering Adam, Ach, Adam, uh, Noah. Interesting how many times we find in the Old Testament God remembered someone or some people. So God remembered Noah and he changed the situation and God also said this will never happen again in this way. And then the story continues again with the genealogy, and then we get to, to um, chapter 11 with uh, the Tower of Babel, which is actually a funny story. Uh, we find people again wanting to reach into the realm of God, the third or the fourth time in our story, chapter 1 to 11, people want to be like God, want to reach into the realm of God, and what does God do? He comes down and just slaps over the little tower. He said, no, let's just confuse the language. Just a little thing. Uh, let's help them not to understand each other. And it was the end of this big project where humankind wanted to be independent from God, where humankind wanted to, to make a name for themselves, uh, which also reminds me very much of ourselves today sometimes as individuals who would like to be known, Um, and also as a country. I remember when Kevin Rudd came, I'm not talking politics, but when he became Prime Minister, he said, the next thing that we should do, we could help people now to hear, with a bionic ear, we need to develop this bionic eye so that the world will take notice of Australia. I don't have a problem with a bionic eye. I think it's wonderful. I've got a friend who's blind. And I just think what difference it can make in his life. But what was the underlying motive to make a name for ourselves? So that the world will know that we are here and take notice. Still very much how we are. Still the same thing to try and to be less dependent on God, making a name for ourselves. Now, um, let us just see what we then find about God in this chapter. I did not really stick to my my notes, so I hope I did not go too much over the place. Are you still with me? Did did you see that structure of harmony and rebellion? Um, Grace... Rebellion, how God shows His grace, softening His judgment on people, and then people rebelling again, etc., etc. Now, I just find this amazing to look at who God is and how God is portrayed in these chapters, because that's what we, we want to see something of ourselves, and I just touch on a few points, how we actually see something of ourselves and who we are reading these first 11 chapters. But I just find it very amazing to see how God is portrayed. I already mentioned about God coming and clothing or clothe these rebellious people. A God who cares, a God who loves, a God who is concerned about these human creatures that turned their backs on Him and who are now under His judgment. That even as He passes His judgment over them, He's a God who comes and makes sure that they are cared for by clothing, clothing them. What God is this? Is this just a God who is looking and standing ready to zap us, and to get us out of his way? I guess he would have saved him a lot of trouble, himself, a lot of trouble, if he did that then. What I also find amazing, is if we go to chapter 6, the story of Noah, um, verse 8. I did not mention that earlier on, but we see that God said, sorry, verse, chapter 6, verse 6. Maybe we can read from verse 5. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every, inclina- that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. And then this, the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, for I am grieved that I have made them. I don't know if you've ever picked that up in scripture. That God is actually emotionally involved with His creation. A God whose heart can be filled with pain because that which He created, that which He made, is just going wayward. It's just running out of control. It is just not going as He intended, as He had in mind. And His heart is filled with pain. My mum once sent me an SMS that says something like this. It is a terrible thought to have children because that means to, to see your heart walking outside of you for the rest of your life. It is a t- terrible thing to have children because it's to see your heart walking outside of you for the rest of your life. And I think if I see so many kids, you might, have, you might understand something of you can never divorce yourself from your child. If it goes well with that child, it fills your heart with gladness and thankfulness and happiness and you proud if that child goes wayward, it breaks your heart. Maybe there are guys here who experience that, a child going wayward. And it's the same thing with God. His heart is filled with pain because His creation went wayward. He is not a cold, hard-hearted God sitting up there who created things down here and because things went wrong he just distanced himself from it no he's grieved he's actually sorry that he did it his heart is filled with pain brothers and sisters when we go wayward when we do the things that we know we should not do and we do that It touches God's heart. It fills his heart with grief because he had in mind creatures that will actually be like he intended with Adam and Eve. And he was so serious about that that he actually sent his son to become what we could not be because of our own fallenness and sinfulness. God's heart was filled with pain and he was grieved. Chapter 8 verse 21 I already mentioned that God saying that never again will I curse the ground because of man even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I had done. And this is again repeated in 9 verse 12. Again we find a God Who's the one who just flipped his finger and things happened? And then, because he's so upset with his creation, he destroys just about all of it. And when he stands back and he realized, I don't know if that's a good word, but maybe just when he saw what he did, he said, Never again will I do it in this manner. How horrible! And we find that God, who is the Almighty, who can do whatever He wish, whatever He wants, whenever He wants and however He wants, say, I will not do this again. God come and limits Himself in terms of what He will and will not do because of His creation, because of His love for mankind. Do you see this God's heart? A God who grieves? A God who comes and destroys and then stands back and says, but this is horrible. I'll never do that again. This is not a God who is far away. A God who, is, who wants nothing to do with this world. This is a God who is so involved that He limits Himself and He gives a sign, the rainbow, to say that I promise that I will never do this again. I will never destroy the world in this manner again. This is the God that we serve. In the last place, we also find a God who can be very humorous. I've already mentioned that. Um, there are some very humorous parts in the Bible, like chapter 11. We see these guys building this massive tower, like the one in Dubai, um, and they're going to make a name for themselves. They're going to be independent. They will not need God anymore. They actually said, God said we should spread over the world, but we want to stick together. Let's stick together and we'll make a name for ourselves. And we'll build this big tower that will reach into the heaven what does God do he said ah oh, let's go down and see what those guys are doing down there now I've, I think whenever you have seen kids when you build a tower they will just come and slap it over what does God do no he's not a spoil sport he just have some fun and he let them speak everyone a different language as as much fun as you have listening to my good English. Um, God just come, he confused the language and it's the end of their project and they start to spread over the earth as God intended, as God said they should. So we also find a God who is very much humorous. He do funny things. Uh, You can also go and read about the ten plagues with a less serious Mind and you will find out that it's very funny um, that God actually could sort out Pharaoh just like that, but uh, he do these funny little things. He got midgets to irritate them as a way to convince the Pharaoh to get rid of the Israelites or to let them go. So, so what do we find? We find a God in the Old Testament or chapter one to eleven who is a God with a heart a God who cares, a God who did not distance himself from his creation and especially not from people. We find a God who who loves so much that as we know from the New Testament that he gives himself. He gives himself. The God who cannot die dies in Christ so that we can live we find a God who from the start when people turned their backs on him was always calling out until today Adam Adam we are you a God who cares a God who loves let us give ourselves to this God let us put ourselves in the hands of this God and put our trust in Him. There ain't, there ain't any other God. There ain't any other God like the one that we serve. Let us pray. Lord, we want to thank you for who you are. We want to thank you, Lord, that you are the God who loves us, the God who cares for us, a God who cares for His creation. Thank you, Lord, that you revealed yourself as the God who come and clothed us. A God who come and and your heart is filled with pain and grief because of what's happening on this world, on this earth. How we went wayward. Your heart is grieving for us. Lord, thank you that you are the God who Who limited your judgment? Lord, thank you that you are the God who also can make us laugh sometimes. Who just do things in a funny way. Lord, thank you that you are the God who showed all these things that we've learned about this morning in in its fullness in Christ Jesus. A God who loves, a God who cares a God who is for us. And if you are for us, Lord, you can be against us. We praise your name. Amen.